Hello! Welcome to the sixth episode of the Science Basement podcast. And this episode is about something that everybody likes, which is food. Yeah, that's, that's me trying to eat crisps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all like food. And as many of you might know already, in Northern Europe, one big Uh, big part of the diet here is made by potatoes. Yeah, potatoes are the key ingredient in most in most food. dishes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But potatoes. Uh, well, Europe is a big producer of potatoes, but uh, not all tubers come from Europe. For example, there is there are some other tubers which are mostly um, grown in the southern part of the world. And today our guest will tell us more about one kind of tuber, which is the cassava. So Stephanie, who is our guest? Yeah, so today we have Daniel Wasonga. He is uh, a PhD student at the Department of Agricultural Sciences at University of Helsinki. And his topic is, he's trying to reduce cyanides in cassava using potassium fertilizer and optimizing their yield under water stress. So Daniel, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. So first of all, what is a cassava? So cassava is uh, belongs to Euphorbiaceae family. It's a, a root crop um, consumed uh, for its tubers and leaves, which are rich in minerals, especially tubers are rich in starch. So cassava, uh, its origin is in South America, particularly Brazil, where it, it was... Uh, then transferred by the Portuguese in the early 1500s to western part of Africa, specifically Congo, and then spread basically to most of the tropical areas, including South America and Asia itself. So cassava was yeah mostly um, consumed in South America now, but now the biggest producer is Nigeria. Apparently. Right. Nigeria is the biggest cons biggest producer. Not only Nigeria, I, I mean, uh, there are majorly four big uh, net producers of cassava worldwide. Nigeria is one of them. We got Thailand, uh, there is Congo itself, and Tanzania and Ghana. Uh, those are some of the major producers of uh, cassava. Uh, so I, since I, I have never eaten cassava, so I had to read something about it before before recording this episode. And uh, first of all, I came uh, into this information that uh, does it work basically like potatoes that you have both sweet and and bitter variety of cassava? Yeah, true. I I'm not sure that we have bitter and sweet potatoes, but there is bitter and sweet cassava varieties. And the difference comes in between uh, because of the cyanide levels in them. Cyanide is a toxic substance. Uh, it is produced by plants for anti-herbivory. It's a defense mechanism that defenses, defends the plants from being consumed by herbivores, that is animals. So uh, plants which have more than 100 milligrams of cyanide are bitter concentrated and this when consumed they lead to death to both humans and animals. So one of the important things about cassava is that it's it's a very nutrient rich or there's like vitamins, minerals, proteins it's, and it's easy to grow but there's a chance true. that you can die. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But 
but but yeah, I mean, I've, I've read that that uh, of course before mm-hmm. eating any kind of cassava, so mm-hmm. the sweet one or the bitter one, you have to treat the cassava so that uh, you reduce this amount of cyanide, yeah. which can be dangerous. But for example, for the sweet one, mm-hmm. uh, you just need to boil them. Yeah. Uh, and now it's... I understand why, because you said that it has a smaller amount of cyanide in it. And for the bitter one, I don't remember, but it was like a bigger process for mm-hmm. for um, for reducing these uh, cyanide levels. But mm-hmm. anyway, my so your research focuses on reducing this cyanide level, right? On yeah, you, you are right. But so my question is, mm-hmm. why do you need to reduce it from beforehand when just treating the cassava reduces the cyanide? Well, clearly there were yeah. deaths and there's problems with the cyanide. So you would want to crop, you would want to make a crop that is more safe to consume. Yes, yeah, true. So as you uh, you rightly said, uh, Erica, is that. Uh, m- most of the mechanisms that are present today uh, for reducing cyanide is processing. That is processing after production. But uh, inform- information from research, current research, informs that some of these processing techniques, for example, boiling, um, grating, does not reduce them to a-, a level that could be suitable. And we got several, the, most of the people who are consuming cassava have not been exposed to some of these high-end techniques, uh, although most of them are most of them northern. But the most efficient way of reducing the levels is to reduce them at early phase when they are when we've got the crop growing. So that means at the end product you will not even need some of these processing techniques. You also we also know that uh, there are several level, there are several varieties of cassava. Uh, among them is the biofortified cassavas. Uh, some of these have high levels of vitamins, but then also the levels of cyanide itself is also is remarkably on the is, is remarkably high. So having a cake recommended care application that can reduce this level of cassava is what I'm trying to look at. So in my research area, I'm looking at uh, growth and yield response of cassava. This is about fortified cassava. The response on uh, water application and potassium application, but more so on I'm, I'm, I'm looking at reducing the cyanide content in them, but also with the raised amount of uh, vitamin A. So um, varying different levels of potassium application uh, on different uh, cassava cultivars, these are about fortified cassavas, uh, to have a, a reduced cyanide content. So one of the major information we've had is that uh, potassium has been, is responsible for reducing the levels of cyanide content. But as to what levels of potassium to be applied to have reduced cyanide, has not been known informed mm-hmm. and then the other thing is about on micronutrients vitamin a uh, which is responsible for deaths of children under the age of five about most of the deaths in tropical areas but in biofortified crops most of these minerals they either become uh, limited or they disappear at all at harvest stage and this has been attributed to the growth phases, more so environmental conditions. And uh, in the case of cassava, it's because of the arid conditions where they are grown. 
So I'm also varying the stress levels, water application levels to ensure, to trying to look, raise my curiosity at which levels of water application shall farmer have to have uh, optimum uh, vitamin A uh, retaining on them. So with the fortification itself, where fortified cassava simply refers to those species which have been introgressed through the conventional means uh, of uh, the carotenoids from the related wild species, while fortification on the end and usually refers to uh, addition of these mineral cassavas or the crop at food processing stages. Uh, information, or just recent research, revealed that uh, bioavailability of the minerals cassava itself from processed foods is less compared to bioavailability of these minerals at from the crop when when it is fortified at early stage so that draws a lot of interest yeah uh, so um working on on cassava mm -hmm. and like the cyanide levels at the grow uh, level with fertilizer does this mm -hmm. classify the end product as a gmo no this is not a GMO at all. And even the fortified cassava is not a GMO oh, okay. itself because it has been, it is produced through conventional means. I mean, by just crossing, conventional uh -huh. crossing means. Oh, okay. Okay, well, yeah. uh, just, just so, to, uh, because to make it clear, you were talking about the bio, bio fortified. Yes. But um, so you, you have cassavas that have different levels of vitamin A because mm -hmm. now you talked about crossing them. <laughs> but you mean you're taking this different cassavas with different vitamin levels and crossing them? So uh, uh, what I was clarifying about the GMOs is that uh, in these biofortified cassavas, they are produced through crossing wild species. The wild species, they are low in production. They contain most of these uh, vitamins, uh, but they are, we cannot consume them because they've got high cyanides and all some other attributes which we may not want to transfer. So it's simply crossing them through conventional means to the normal cassava. And then the product is what we call a biofortified cassava, that it has the minerals. And they're known by the name, commonly they're known as yellow cassava. So that is one, that is, those are some, those are the cultivars I'm using for my experiments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So increase vitamin A, decrease cyanide, and you're also looking at this through uh, regulating the amount of potassium fertilizer. Yeah. So uh, if I may go on, go back on vitamin A, uh, we there's a lot of malnutrition that has been that that is associated, especially with the children at the age of five, most of the tropical areas, and uh, this mostly has been is mostly correlated with. Uh, insufficient levels of vitamin A in their diets. But what as with the world is turning on around is that there has been a lot of fortification of food products, uh, that is at the end products, at the end product where foods, we got vitamins, uh, poor on foods during processing stages. But then studies released that, uh, studies revealed that by availability of fortified minerals or vitamins, is not available in the system as opposed to uh, biofortified minerals. Thus, that is, the minerals that are present in the crop 
at the initial growth stage. So they are easily available on the system as, as, as compared to that which is fortified at the processing stage. Wait, so, sorry, by yeah. system you mean a human system? Yeah, human system. Yeah. Sure, human system. Yeah. So we are trying to have we are trying to look at uh, a recommended level on which the vitamin A becomes available uh, during the even at the harvesting stage because uh, one of the things we have realized I've realized during this research is that most of the vitamins in biofortified cassava they 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 get lost or their levels drastically reduces uh, during the the growth phases of the crop. And this is most associated with environmental factors, uh, more so because the crop is, is grown in the arid areas where there's a lot of challenges of water. Although cassava is a drought stress, but the stress itself, uh, some of the studies indicate that they affect even the synthesis of these vitamins. So um, also varying uh, water application, irrigation, uh, so, so as to look at which levels will have uh, optimum, optimum high levels of vitamin A, but with the reduced cyanide content because we are also varying fertilizer application, mm -hmm. potassium. Yeah. And now a kind of trivial, or more than trivial, basic question, uh, because I'm not, I'm really not an expert about vitamins. What, what are the main uh, benefits of vitamin A? So I, for example, know that uh, carrots mm -hmm. and oranges give vitamin E, or mm -hmm. no, C. Mm -hmm. No, carrots give vitamins E and A. Carrots are majorly rich in vitamins A. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, but, what but, is the benefit? But, yeah, majorly, we got a group of carotenoids. So the carotenoids are majorly rich in vitamin A, but we got thiamine, which is B1, and there are several vitamins A. So for instance, vitamin A is important in, in defense mechanisms. It mm -hmm. prevents night blindness, uh, whereby children uh, they become blind at early stages, and this can lead to uh, part of the adult life. Uh, it also affects uh, developmental stages like metabolism activity, so it's really critical uh, in the diet uh, itself, and also they are very important key in some of the uh, synthesis processes uh, in the body, such as protein synthesis and all that. So it sounds like a really important uh, crop because it's it's a it's a drought resistant crop. It has all these vitamins, and you can so so you can really use it for well children nutrition. Well, yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. And just to add, it is one of the main reason we this consume this because of the starch. It has got high starch levels, especially the roots, uh, carbohydrates, and uh, it's the fourth most important carbohydrate crop in the tropics after some after maize and a few other crops so that really places it as one of the most important crops and a food resource
And actually, I think that the word that probably is more common than, or like the people have heard more than cassava is that from, from actually the, the tuber cassava, you mm-hmm. make tapioca starch, mm-hmm. right? Which yeah. is probably something that people have heard of more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's true. <laughs> because I've actually, and, uh, I've actually yeah. be, before like talking to you, yeah. like I've heard of tapioca starch, but okay. I've never heard of cassava before. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of starch products made from cassava. For instance, in West Africa, the more common is gari. Mm-hmm. Gary made from cassava, and there's also we got several fufu itself, and there are several cassava mills. Mm-hmm. Even it's used for baking purposes when mixed with the wheat, preparing for porridge. That is a that's like breakfast, and many more others. So it has got several uses, even extending onto industrial products, whereby it is used in most in production of feedstuffs. Um, and also even in the production of fermentation production of some of these uh, methanols. And itself. also producing alcohol. It's like, true, like it's true. Of, like most of the tubers. <laughs> it's true, it's true. It's so true. foods, uh, you mean to feed the... Uh, a feed, I mean, I mean for livestock consumption. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now your uh, research is basically you're in a lab playing with... You have a matrix of cassava with... Um, Adjusting fertilizer, adjusting water. So currently, uh, what I'm doing at the moment, is, this is at the early research stages of the crop. Ooh, I'm on doing my uh, greenhouse experiments. Greenhouse provides some of the, it's a model environment, or it's a model environment near to what the crop is grown to. So uh, we are doing the variations of the potassium and water stress applications and doing the very numerous uh, parameter measurements and then uh, after that I, exp- I will go and do the laboratory analysis for these minerals uh, most of the physiological uh, measurements and uh, later I will do a field trial a field where? A field, uh, basically in Kenya. Okay. Yeah, because we want to grow it in an environment where the crop is uh, is naturally grown. That is. So you we would say so, that, that like Nordic countries are are a too harsh and cold environment for cassava, right? Yeah, it's right. So this is not. Uh, I don't think it's grown in Europe at all. Yeah, cassava is a tropical is a tropical crop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even its growth phase, it's the earliest maturing varieties are about seven to eight months, that can prolong up to twenty months during their growth phase. And so and but if you look at the the temperate climatic conditions we have in northern Europe. You got only four months of uh, favorable temperatures and the conditions for which you can grow a crop. And really, uh, you may only grow uh, some of the annual crops in these conditions here. So, but the the some of the data and information we are getting right now in the glaze house will be able to inform on and give better predictions on the field conditions when we shall crop the crop. And uh, because we may not be able to grow the crop up to 20 months, 8 months maturity, we are targeting the crop. This, this, most of this information we are picking them at early growth phase at 3 months. This is important because tuberization in cassava begins at 3 months. And most of the, the synthesis of the toxic cyanides and even the vitamins... Although vitamins, some of, them, some of them start as very early, but this is one of the right stages that 
we are picking and it's an important one. What's tuberization? Tuberization mm-hmm. refers to formation of the roots tubers. Okay. Yeah, and it becomes that at uh, three months. I have just one last question. Okay, go. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're talking about this drought uh, tolerant crop, and That's that you will look at how you can um, extrapolate your results to actual climates. Mm-hmm. And how do you? Will you be looking into how more drought-prone areas can actually grow cassava? If if you're changing a climate, um, will the, this will be favored or not favored for cassava plantation? Yeah, I mean, uh, in in changing the climate. Cassava generally grows in those tropical climates, and uh, we are just we are simply taking them to their natural conditions. So right now we are growing them in a glasshouse condition, but we have expressed them. We are putting them in the same conditions as if mm-hmm. they were on the on the field conditions. Uh, as I mentioned also, because we may not, the same same conditions, the classes may not be specifically related to the other environment, outside environment, but that is what we are expressing them to. So the likelihood of the classes data and the field data uh, marrying each other is uh, is very is high likely. Yeah, there's a high likelihood of us getting the same same results on that. And given that this is a, we are, the, this is that is at early, early phase. So, Daniel, thank you very much for talking to us about your research. But the interview is not over yet because wow. now we are going to the game, yeah. and we, we there will be some some inputs about your research, and we can we can exploit uh, your topics a bit more. Mm-hmm. So, our game, which is called Cytegory, uh, mm-hmm. we consist of five categories, which mm-hmm. are related either to your research or to something uh, more relaxed or fun or, mm-hmm. or to our life as researchers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will have a random letter generator. You will generate a letter and we will have to fill all the five categories in two minutes with, this, uh, with words that start with that letter that we random generate. We will have three rounds. And the categories for this uh, episode are, since we're talking about food, number one will be things you shouldn't eat uh, for, for various reasons Then we will see during the episode. Uh, number two will be uh, food that grows under the soil, uh, which, of course, includes cassava. So we hope to get a, number, uh, to get a letter C right now. <laughs> so then we have our, our answer ready there. Okay. Uh, number three is leisure activities to do when not doing research or when not working. So hobbies and random other stuff. Number four is scientific jargon. And for our listeners, if you don't know, this uh, scientific jargon is um, those are those words that are specific for one field, which we're never encouraged to use, actually, because we, we have to be able mm-hmm. to communicate science to to the public so scientific jargon is something that we usually should use only when having specific meetings with people who are from the same field and number five which is going to be very fun i think experiment fails or reasons your experiment can fail since you're a lab person right you're a lot in the lab so i am not personally but i i guess i i can invent Mm -hmm. some experiment fails also in my field Okay, okay so you can generate the letter now, and okay. I will have my my timer on. 
Is that Jay? Jay. Jay. Okay, Jay. Oh, no. So let's start the timer. We always get awful letters. Always. Okay. Timer starts in three, two, one. Now. Things not to eat. Things not to eat. food. Okay, food that grows in the soil, but no, it's because another name another name for cassava was yucca, but that's with the Y, not with the J. Mm. Leisure activities. Also. I will mention jute. What? Jute? Uh, I will mention jute. Which is? Jute is a fiber crop. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, let, let me write it. How to write it? J. Mm-hmm. It's here. J-U-T. Uh-huh. J-U-T-E. Jute. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. This is a thing not to eat. Yeah, it's okay. not to eat. Okay. okay. Um, and oh, then it applies to all. <laughs> to all <Yes>. fields. <laughs> ah, <okay>. um, <laughs> leisure activities to do when you are not working. Do you have mm. any, any ideas about that? Mm, not working. Joking. Joking. Mm, yes, jo- joke joking. telling. Joke telling. Okay. Yeah, because like uh, during breaks, like coffee breaks, blah, blah, yes. you can mm. tell jokes. Joke. So joke telling. Joke telling. Joke telling. Scientific jargon. Uh, I have nothing mm-hmm. in my own Scientific field. Jargon. I have nothing in my own field that starts with, with J. J. Reasons your experiment fail. Your experiment fail is someone jeopardizing yes. yeah. the experiment. <laughs> okay. It's true, yeah. But is that really a reason? Well, I mean, if so, if you have, if you have some, if you have like your colleague who, who really wants you to fail, or like you, you, or like you have you. your enemy, your scientific enemy, mm-hmm. who wants you to fail, it jeopardizes the entire experiment. This is a great reason. Jargon. Jargon. I really have nothing in my field that starts with J. If somebody from my field is listening, jargon. maybe please. jargon, jargon, in a culture. Oh, oh, and, and it, it, it it's over. But I mean, we did three out of three, three out, out of five, five with J, which funny. is an horrible letter. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's let's let's, let's just get to the next one. Yes. Let's have again. a lucky, a lucky. Let's hope it's lucky. This is I. I. Letter sure I. That's, I. That's, that's lucky. Of course, <laughs> that's really lucky. Yes. Okay. Three, two, one. Mm-hmm. Starting Good. now. Jargon mm. is ionosphere scientific mm. jargon. Yes. Yes. yes, perfect. That that's ionosphere. from my field. So the ionosphere is is something yes. that is around her earth, filled with ions, electric particles. Sorry if we mm-hmm. went it's outside. Of, sorry if we went outside it's, of your it's field. Fine. This. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> um, do we have any no. food that grow under the soil? The with with I. I. Oh, this is such mm. a bad letter. Mm. Mm. Reasons your experiment could okay. fail. Increasing level of bad uh, stuff. Contaminants. Increasing level of contaminants. Well, even insects. Insects. When, when Actually, insects. Insects. Mm-hmm. insects. My, I, insects have, I have an instrument. And that, that. Yeah, there's a little uh, inlet. Mm-hmm. And we have to have a little um, mesh in front of it. Otherwise, the insects get in. They get in, yes. And you have true. to clean mm-hmm. your instrument mm-hmm. for insects. Especially oh when they attack it and you are, that is not your main... They are not part of your study. Yes. You become <laughs> real messed up. Yeah, that's insects. true. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's super interesting. interesting. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. leisure activities. I... Indoor. Okay. Ingesting in, chocolate. Ingesting. 
And when you are ready from some older episode that you are really a chocolate. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the gym. In the gym. In, in the, the gym. gym. <laughs> in the gym. Pleasure in activity. the gym. Yeah. In the gym. No, things not to eat. Okay. Things you, not to eat. We, why don't we have any food that grows under the no, soil sorry. with I? Uh, mm. e, e, I uh, 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 mm. No. Mm-mm. Things not to eat. We uh, can use. Not, uh, ice? Ice. Why you shouldn't eat yeah, ice? Ice I is good. Know. Ice cubes. But haven't you ever eaten snow? Like for insects, insects, actually, you know, insects are now... No, they are, they are, they are eaten, they are good. Uh, insects are but, now... But there are some eat. soils you people don't eat, like they are elites, whatever. I don't know. Elites? What's that? There are some soils, in, there are species of soils okay. in the ground. They're just soil. They're minerals, I mean. So you're supposed to, I mean, you, can you actually eat them? No, I don't eat them. <laughs> <laughs> Things not to eat. So. Oh, that's true. Okay, yeah. Okay, so they're yeah. a type of soil. So those yeah. are clay minerals. Why do you know so this type of types of soils and stuff? And well, of course, because... Yeah, because <laughs> that is also the other background. <laughs> so I mentioned letter I, so I just... And that could have been also your scientific jargon, the type of soil. The type, yeah, it's true, yeah, it's true, it's true. We had a space oh. reference mm, for our scientific jargon. Okay, uh... Now, okay, we, we weren't that good for everything, but still we have found at least one word for each category, exactly. apart from so, the food that grows under the, the ground. Sound. So, but n- this last we really one need one. one. And we really the, need one good letter one. right now. Yeah. Go for it. A. 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 Okay. I, I don't know how to feel about that, but mm. okay. Timer starts in 3, 2, 1, now. Think about some food yep. that grows under the soil. Arrowroot. We got arrowroot. Arrow, I don't know to write arrow that. Please write arrow it. Arrowroot. Good. That, that goes under the soil. Arrowroot. 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 Just from the arrow. Yeah, they like the shoe. Yeah, you feel all that. It's a very nice crop, and especially it's rich in starch. Very sweet. Majorly used in breakfast. Oh, uh-huh. And even lunch. We, we, we will talk and about in the it tropics. Okay. In the tropics, in okay. more of it in Africa. Okay, an arrowroot. Mm, arrow, uh, I never heard of this. It's close to yam. It's, uh, ah, okay. okay. I never yeah, heard nice. of this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any scientific jargon? Aerosols. Aerosols, mm. yes. Aerosols. <laughs> I remember that from some old episode. Yes. yes. Aerosols and that's from andosols also. What? Andosols. Oh yeah, another type of soil. Yeah. You know so much about soils. We should have have used the the one category types of soils. Experiment phase. I I would like the experiment phase. So why should experiment phase? Aerospace contamination. Aero, aerodynamic explosion. No. Uh, uh, um, things not to eat. Uh, apples. Uh-huh. Apple. Mm-hmm. Well, the venomous apple from from apple someone. seeds. Don't apple they have cyanide too? <laughs> Do they have cyanide? Apple, apple no, seeds. We, no, <laughs> no, the seeds. Uh, leisure activities with A that should be easy. Uh, aerobics. Okay. Yep. Aerobics. Nice. Aerobics. So what do we miss? Uh, uh, we things we not things eat. not to eat and experiment fails. Experiment fails. I like mm. the experiment fails. Things not to eat can be uh, okay. <laughs> experiment fails. Uh, experiment fails. No, no, I really wanted to find the final experiment fail. Uh, so uh, <laughs> first one question: Is this arrow root a tuber or just a? 
it is a it is a tube by itself it uh, just like cassava it it although it has a very short uh, growth season phase mm-hmm. so not and, as long as cassava, uh, it's not as which long is, as which cassava, is several months you know, okay several months actually it takes about sometimes about 4 months uh it's grows majorly in swampy areas mm-hmm. uh but you can nowadays there are those varieties that grows on normal soil they're called upland arrowroots uh, oh, they're easy to be grown oh, yeah cool. and cool. you can grow them at your backyard okay <laughs> yeah uh, i mean even in finland they can do because it's just four months and you can be able to time it mm-hmm. and they're really sweet and actually uh, i've been looking at some pictures of cassava and uh, it is uh, like dark brown in the outside and kind of white inside, right? Yes, Cassava. sure. And what, sure. what's the color of this arrowroot? Uh, color root, arrowroot normally they about dark brown in color on the outside, and on the inside because they are peeled, they they are about uh, creamish white. Okay, so sometimes. similar to similar to or more so similar, but they also tend to be brown or gray mm. itself. Okay. But then those other roots which are creamish white, they are, most of them they are not consumed. They are left for the livestock. But what is consumed are those which are about brownish, about brownish in color on the inside. Okay, now so, if you can uh, just remind <laughs> us and the listeners probably um, about... So we have different food that grows under the soil, and that's why we add it as a category. Even mm-hmm. if we, even if we had very, very unlucky letters, mm-hmm. for example, we know that onions grow under the soil mm-hmm. or carrots grow under the soil, but they are not tubers, right? Yeah. So what's the difference between what what makes a tuber a tuber? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there are several classifications that as that are that are made on most of these. We call them root crops, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, they vary depending on discipline. For example, how agronomists will classify them could be different from how physiologists classify them, and even on how horticulturists classify them. But on general, generally, uh, tubers uh, can be raised from tubers can be raised from the tuber itself. In that, you can be able to raise a plant from a tuber. While on the other side, bulbs, you you are not able to raise uh, a new plant from a bulb. So, and then generally most of the tubers, they have a longer growth phase compared to the bulbs. And uh, some of the bulbs include the onions, bulb onions, cup garlics, and exact carrots sometimes. That's most of these are referred as root carrots. But then on the tubers, on the other hand, you got the cassavas, which are tubers, you got the yams, for the arrowroots, and most of that. And the potatoes. Yeah. And the potatoes are tubers. <laughs> <laughs> you you cannot to... forget potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, it's the one you can really, I think everybody can think of, and, you know, potatoes and cassavas. Yeah. And sweet potato. And I'm, and a, sweet. I'm a huge fan of sweet, oh, sweet potatoes. potatoes. Wow. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> they are nice. I heard that you can also They're make They're called a... potatoes. Like you can also make cassava fried, like like fried crisps. Chips, yeah, yeah, really? yeah, sure, sure. And that is a very is a that is one of the major trends, processing trends right now. You can apart from baking and baking and porridge and even meals, you can be able to have crisps and even chips wow. are from cassava itself. Wow, and they are costly compared to potato crisps. 
Okay, I know that you are growing cassava, mm-hmm. like in uh, green greenhouses here in Helsinki, but... I, I mean, from my background, we have grown cassava, even back in my back in my farm. I'm a farmer sometimes. Oh, okay. Yeah. I got some few cassavas that you're growing. So you, you of size. course, have seen and eaten cassava, but yeah, have you just... ever found cassava mm-hmm. in any Finnish supermarket? Uh, in most of the conventional supermarkets, they are not there, but uh-huh. they are in Finland. Um, really, you can buy yes, them in Finland. Yes, yes, there are several. There are several. Uh, we call them Asian markets. Asian. Oh, on Asian supermarkets. In Asian shops. Okay. Asian shops. You get them, and most of them come from. They send them from Africa, but I guess they but go they go through Asian and, supermarkets. Yeah. So listeners, if you are if you if you are curious mm-hmm. to see uh, or, or to actually taste how this cassava taste is, go to Asian supermarkets market, because yeah. Daniel uh, Daniel is telling yeah, us to. But I mean, be careful they're... not to cook them. Yeah, be careful <laughs> not to cook them. I, I, I mean, <laughs> most that are present here, they are sweet varieties. Ah, the sweet variety, yeah, which is so the, the one with less to, with less cyanides. I mean, and you can be able to get them around Hakaniem somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I definitely want to try some cassava fries yeah, right now. True, yeah, yeah, we, sure. we, we totally. We and totally they, they also they also have already processed products. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you very much, Daniel. This mm-hmm. was very very informative and interesting. And now we are going um, to our science anecdote and it's Stephanie's time to tell it and since we had as one of our categories the scientific jargon which mm-hmm. are those words specific words from each field so Stephanie is gonna tell us a story about this so which yeah. was recently in the news right Stephanie? Yes. Well yes yeah, sort of so it's not exactly an anecdote it's more a bit of science news it's it's coming from a paper that was published last year now 2017 because we're in 2018 now Um, it's called Automatic Jargon Identifier for Scientists Engaging with the Public and Science Communication Educators. So what this um, this paper does, it's, it actually puts to test an app that they call the de-jargonizer. Mm-hmm. And what it does is you can just copy-paste a text into this software and it will assess how much jargon your text has. So basically, is it understandable for somebody who's not in your field and that, that's really useful i think for uh, you know for us who are writing well any scientist who's wanting to to communicate to others outside their field so if you want to do a press release mm-hmm. if you want to write for an article for a magazine or just you know do a talk even that just is your language being too technical or not so this paper is by uh raketson et al in 2017 uh, they go on in how they they uh they they looked at or they classified words Um, based on BBC texts, TED Talks, transcripts, um, scientific, non-scientific, and so on to make the specification. Um, and they have the, the website, it's for free. So you can just go there and literally copy-paste your text, and you will get a little uh, meter telling you how good your text is. So from going from green to orange mm-hmm. to red. Mm-hmm. Um, it w- yeah, so they call this, they say, um, the words in the text were classified in three levels based on the following cutoffs. High frequency, which would be uh, very common words, such as behavior. So everybody would understand that. Um, then there's a mid-frequency word, such as protein, that people would likely understand that, people who are you know, active readers. Mm-hmm. And then you have the jargon, which would be, for example, dendritic. So that's a very specific... Yeah. Which I already don't know. That's a word, <laughs> yes. So that's, that's a, a jargon. jargon. Yeah, so outside your field, um, it would be not likely that somebody would understand that. 
Um, and it really works. I actually copy pasted an abstract I had. Mm -hmm. um, and it really, it really, for example, aerosols mm -hmm. was, eh, yeah. Uh, and then there were, of course, some chemical species there, which were completely in red. Mm -hmm. um, but it really makes you think that something you take for granted, a word mm -hmm. that you take for granted, mm -hmm. is actually... You know, you shouldn't. Not because you're used to it doesn't mean that somebody else would. would yeah, have but uh, actually, it's something that uh, I'm learning on the go with this podcast as well. Because yeah. when we interview people, then uh, I see that uh, you and I are asking, like, uh, can you specific? Can can you tell us about more this word? Because when you're a researcher, you think that what what you are working with is like it becomes so natural to you yeah, that you think that everybody understands what that means yeah mm -hmm. yeah and i think it's important that to be aware who you're talking to because mm -hmm. it's not that somebody might be you know we think we think that person might be dumb it's not that they're dumb they just don't use that language you know it's just like and it's, and it's completely it's, normal yeah, yeah and that's, the, that's perfectly the, fine you yeah that's it's, it's true because as scientists we normally tend to use uh, most of the scientific terms that we are familiar with in our own fields and we when you're talking to diverse groups we also use them which is wrong so some of the scientific terms are majorly conserved within fields but when you're moving out talking to the to the common people we are laying information which you should reach a larger public we should try to use less of the jargon yes and um, so we will definitely put the link in our yes, description box okay. if you if you want to try it for for, for yourself. Yeah. It's super easy. Just copy paste and you will see. Just just even for fun. Then you and I, I think that that will be nice, especially when you are writing popular articles. You are yes, targeting exactly. magazines. Or your yeah. scientific, well, from your scientific research, you want to relate it to magazines. Or actually, a lot of journals uh, mm -hmm. nowadays, mm -hmm. like uh, when you submit an article for mm -hmm. a scientific journal, uh, mm -hmm. they ask you to, of course, give the abstract and, and the entire manuscript, mm -hmm. and then they ask for a, for a popular science abstract mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. for people who are not into the field. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it would be very interesting also for that, for that uh, scope. Anyway, yeah. For blogs. So, I, I recommend it. Yes. Yep. And just, just to end that part, like, like the authors say, and this is a quote, it says, um, so using the de-jargonizer highlights the jargon, mm -hmm. thus allowing science speakers and writers to consider changing these potentially problematic words mm -hmm. for more familiar words or adding explanations. So go ahead and give it a try. Good. Okay, so great. And thank you, Daniel, very much. Uh, this was a very interesting episode because uh, we both are, uh, Stephanie and I, from very different, uh, a very um, far field from you. But still, that was very interesting. And, and, and yeah, we did organized de-jargonized your field enough and, and I think we, we understood a lot and we, we learned a lot and yes. thank you very much so and we will definitely go and try this cassava now I would I'm, really I'm, like some cassava chips oh, we, we, can, we can make we can organize a cassava dinner with you Dan. we will prepare cassava it's for true. you and then you will, <laughs> I can <laughs> be able to prepare <laughs> no, or, or we prepare it for you and then it's you judge us and check the sign at levels okay thank you so much for having me it was a nice conversation definitely and, uh, and so uh, quick remind of our links instagram uh, what is the name uh, 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 handle is at science underscore basement and the twitter one is at science basement and our email is the science basement dot helsinki at gmail.com Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks a lot. Thanks. If you have questions for Daniel, please email them to us and we'll forward them to them, to him. Thank you so much. Definitely. And you. see you in two weeks. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thanks.
the science basement.